The Theonauts, episode 104. The one where we check yes or no. The Theonauts Podcast. Christian news from around the globe. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Explore the vast reaches of God's word. Hello, all you Theoquisitors out there. I'm David Gaddy. I'm Jeremiah Orr. And together we are the, the Theonauts. Hey, David. Hey, welcome to Ask the Theonauts. Ask the Theonauts, nots, nots. We really need a stinger for that, dude. <laughs> that would have been awesome. But you know us. We're like, oh, you know what we like should that. do? What? Michael, Brandon, you guys are listening over there at Finding Christ in Cinema. What you guys need to do is, is like record us. Of uh, you y'all doing the echo theonaut so that we can just play it on our uh, that's a great idea on our soundboard when challenge we- has been thrown down <laughs> Michael and Brendan we need your recording of ask the theonauts not <laughs> be great or just the theonauts because we said we could throw that in all over all the, place. the time that's true good <laughs> excellent awesome I'm super uber excited about this episode. Yeah, this is going to be fun. Like, this is one of my favorite things. Anytime that I can have... We need to do this regularly. Right, audience participation. And I think it's going to be, like, a regular thing. So if you ever have a question, shoot it to us. Yeah. Because we uh, want to do a regular segment called Ask the Theonauts. Yeah. And uh, it'll be interesting. It's funny how we've been prompting it on the show or whatever, and we've got, you know, a little bit of... of, feedback on that but not much right and then you go out there like this week and on your facebook page going hey we need some questions and everyone <laughs> just comes out of the woodworks man yeah it was nuts like everybody just posted questions on my facebook and then we you know we had other people answering the questions yeah. <laughs> excuse me if you're not a qualified theonaut yeah. please Please do not uh, engage in answering the question. I'm joking. I'm joking. I kid. Do not try this at home. That's right. We are trained professionals. No, Actually, we're not at no, all. No. So you may- need to be a Berean. Try this at home. Right. <laughs> Maybe ask yourself. Yeah. What we need is a. Uh, we need a disclaimer <laughs> right here. You know, we need like a, the lawyer to come on in the monotone voice. You know, and it's like boardware prohibited. Right. This is. <laughs> Oh my goodness! David and Jeremiah are not trained theologians, and do not do not try this at home. Right. <laughs> make sure that you uh, check your scriptures exactly to make sure that that these guys aren't being heretical. And not only that, but questions inevitably bring up arguments. So you know what? Our goal is not to have this gigantic fight. Our goal is to tell you what we think about things. Right. And so if you think that we're right, great. If you think we're wrong, awesome also. But you know what? Whatever you want to do, just, uh, you know, uh, either way, just <laughs> be, you know, be be understanding that, you know, we're not, we're staying, we're 100% right. We've never done that. No. So uh, don't, don't think we're doing that and, right now. And remember part of what, our whole thing is here is that we can have unity in diversity. You can have different opinions 
it's, Amen to that. It's okay. That's right. It's okay. it's all right to, to be differing. And it, I mean, we even true. sat here and we had differing opinions before the show started. So yeah, it happens all the time. All that the time. makes our relationship rich. That's right, and interesting and fun. Yeah. And you know, at the end of the day, when I can look at David and I go, "You're wrong," but I love you. Yeah. You know? And I go, "Good. You can think that. Ten years from now, you'll be on my side." <laughs> See, he's using the age thing already. <laughs> That's so I remember good. whenever I was young yeah. and crazy like you. Yeah, <laughs> Thought the world was flat. Okay. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. All right. Are we ready to just like totally dive into this? Yeah. Let's start with, with this. I'm actually not going to start with voicemail. I'm going to start with email. 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 Okay, so our our good buddy Brendan Taylor at FCC Finding Christ in Cinema is uh, he he gave us some some feedback. Uh, actually, we played a voicemail of his on the last episode. Right. Okay. So this is his response back. From that, okay. from this email. And the reason why I'm doing this first is because this is going to lead us into the Ask the Theonauts question. Right. <clears throat> okay. He says, hey, y'all, an excellent and engaging episode as per usual. Uh, he's talking about episode 103, the, uh, last, last week's. He says, right. I'm pleased to hear of Riley's going to Baylor as I have a friend who will be starting the Master's in Divinity program at Baylor's Truett Seminary. Shout out to J-Dog this fall. Wow. Uh, good luck on your academic pursuits, Riley, and we look forward to hearing more about it later on. So th- Riley's actually starting his second year. His third year. Oh, third year. He's a junior yeah. now. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Isn't so, that crazy? It yeah. goes so fast. It does. So he's he's um, he's already getting his feet really wet over there. Right. He's, <laughs> he's looking at seminaries as we speak, trying to figure out where he wants to go next. Okay, so it says, uh, first of all, I must apologize for any confusion I may have caused with my voicemail on Theonauts 102. I must admit to all the Theo heads out there that my reimagining of Jesus's parable of the wheat and the weeds in Matthew 13, 24 to 30, uh, while it may have been crafty and clever and poetic, <laughs> undermines the explanation Jesus himself gives just a few verses later. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. It's okay. just a bad case of eisegesis, I'm afraid. <laughs> One of the bad Western hermeneutical habits that I'm still trying to break. Aren't we all? Amen to that, brother. Okay, s- speaking of which, God wills it. <laughs> okay, the whole time I'm listening to y'all, I'm thinking, man, they really need to read Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes by E. Randolph Richards and Brandon J. O'Brien. Not a sponsor. The authors dedicate a third of a chapter to deliberating the symptomatic results of using pop verses like Jeremiah 29 and 11. Okay, so I I actually have heard about that book quite a bit on... On FCC, they, oh, yeah. they, they uh, Michael and Brendan have t- talked very highly of that book, and I would like to uh, read it. It's on my ever-growing list of <laughs> of book books list. to read. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, according to them, because of our individualistic culture, more specifically because of our Western church's ideal of the me culture, we like to identify with those verses because 
like uh, because we like to implant ourselves within the context of the scriptures. If God can know the prophet Jeremiah before he was formed in the womb, and if God can set apart Paul, then we automatically assume that all God's children are likewise unique and special. <laughs> all God's children are unique, just like everyone else. <laughs> so that kind of ties in with our yeah, last week's episode about remember that. the specific will. That's good. But what Richards and O'Brien say is that half of... Oh, or, sorry... What Richards and O'Brien say is that the hall of faith of faithers like Paul and Jeremiah and David are the exceptions to the rule instead of the rule itself. Another symptom of Western culture being our loves for rules and that we want rules to apply to everyone all the time across the board. But I digress. Thanks for putting up with my craziness. Love you both. Brendan. Thanks, Brendan. That All was right. a great feedback. So, so he does have a question. Though. So then he turned right around and, uh, and us called us. <laughs> <laughs> Is he stalker status yet? Uh, no, I don't think so. I hope so. Because, so. you know, you could be stalked by worse people. Right. So let's get into the show then. All right. So we're going to jump right into the Ask the Theonauts, beginning with Brendan's voicemail. Here we go. David Boy, Jeremiah, it's your boy Brendan. Yes. So I, I hope you fellas got my email. Uh, I'm calling after I, I've already sent it. I got a question for you. Hopefully one that can be featured on the uh, Ask the Theonauts. David, nuts, nuts, nuts. could you explain more about the about the honor shame system that we see in the Bible? I know uh, a lot of episodes of Theonites, and occasionally in your comments on FCC, you 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 speak about honor, and I don't think you use that word flippantly. So I was just wondering if there's any theological context with which you could. Uh, bolster that that point, explain it to us, uh, maybe explain uh, the opposite, the shame, and and maybe why we don't think in terms like that anymore. Hmm. 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 Love you both. Bye. All right. Thanks for the question. Brendan. Would you be honored to answer that question, David? Yes. Okay, so uh, for you guys that listen to both of our shows, um, you have heard me mention honor a time or two. Um, and part of this is because um, I have a client, uh, as a software developer, I have a client who has this dream application that she's wanting to build. And we've never really built it, but it's about, uh, it, it is a movie selection algorithm that she has come up with. So it's kind of like when you go to Netflix or you go to whatever and it tells you, oh, you watched this movie. You're going to like this one. And, you know, usually, I don't know about you guys, but I go through that list and I'm like, really? You think I'm going to like that? I've seen that. I didn't make it through five minutes of that or, you know, or whatever. Because mainly it's based on genre and this sort of thing. Well, she does this whole other thing where it's based on archetypes. So what is your archetype? What is your main thing that drives you? And does the movie hit that point? 
Right. Which was very smart. And having taken film classes and genre classes and this sort of thing, it was right up my alley. So we had a lot of conversations about this. And so she asked me a series of questions. And whenever she got done, she said, uh, and mostly it was about movies I like and, and why I like them. And when she got done, she said, okay, you're falling into the honor archetype. And I was like, okay, well, what exactly does that mean? And she said, well, you're focused on high honor movies. Yeah. And she's like, let me ask you a question. Did you like the movie Rocky, 1976? I was like, I love the movie Rocky. Are you kidding me? I love Part of the thing I really love about it is that he didn't win at the end. Right. But he was, but, but he was still victorious in his own. You know, and she was like, that's honor. <laughs> Do you like this? And she said, like that. She started naming all these movies. I'm going, yes, love that. That was awesome. And the cool thing was they spanned genre. Right. There were some horror movies in there. There was some um, uh, uh, science fiction in there. There was some fantasy in there. It was drama. They're like it wasn't tied to genre. It was tied to theme. The right. The the honor that was in the characters. Sure. Self sacrifice. Noble actions. Uh, this is just something I'm drawn to. Right. Okay. So, going back to what Brendan's asking here, is is that a Christian thing, and should we? What so so whenever I'm talking about I'm a high honor person or whatever it just means that that drives me, I feel a responsibility to to uh, be trustworthy or or you know um, right. have people see me in a good light and not a bad light a reputation and all that sort of thing. So um, the Bible actually uses this term. Uh, I'm going to go back to the Hebrew. Um, one of the big places you'll see this used is in the Ten Commandments. Okay. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> commandment number five is honor your father and your mother. Okay. That is the use of the word that I'm referring to. Okay. So this word comes from a Hebrew word, kabod. And this concept of kabod is broad, but it, it, it is, um, it's about like not being... Like, my desire for honor is not that people would honor me, but that I would honor them. So, like, when it says honor your father and mother, it means place them in a higher... Esteem them, yeah. Right, esteem them greater than yourself. Right. And so, um, whenever... It's also used in Psalms 25 and 2. We hear it in our little stinger whenever we start the podcast. It is the glory of God, same word. To, to, to conceal a thing. To conceal a thing, that's right. And in the King James, it is the honor of kings to search it out. Right. Same word. It is our honor because we esteem what he's done for us. He's, we, we lift him up. Huh. Okay, so this is definitely a biblical concept because it's everywhere. Right. Um, in Proverbs 3 and 9, it says, honor the Lord. Um, so give respect and, and glory and, and that sort of thing. But... Um, Whenever we get to um, the New Testament, Jesus starts expanding on these things, right? right? And he starts taking it to the next level. And uh, and even though it was in the Old Testament, it was like, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and the seconds like to like unto it, honor your honor your or love your neighbor as yourself. Right, love your. This neighbor, is right. a concept of honor, and so same way within the Sermon on the Mount, whenever he is saying, love your enemies. That's a that's a statement of honoring people. Like right, you honor them. You you honor. There's there's New Testament passages that talk about obey your masters. 
that's honoring your masters, putting them ahead of you. Um, children should obey their parents and honor their parents. So um, our call as Christians, in re- if you think about it, is to honor other people. Right. And honor, like if you look in the movies that we're talking about that feature honor, it centers around putting others ahead of yourself, usually to the point of self-sacrifice. Right. So like, and, and even though in the, I mentioned Rocky, Rocky doesn't go through a self-sacrificing moment, but his victory was about overcoming his own problems and his own uh, uh, demons, so to speak. And it wasn't really about winning that fight at the end. It was about going the distance. Right. And so that's an, that is a, a honorable thing. So it's, it's about esteeming the, the game of right. boxing for him more so than it was about winning or getting ahead or making money or because there are people that are driven by that. Sure. Um, but anyway, it's just, I, I think that it's a biblical, um, Well, yeah. And I think that what you, what you just said right there, there's <clears throat> people that are driven by that. I think honor fits motive, the mm-hmm. purpose behind you do something. So if you're, uh, you know, if you're going to honor your father and mother, you know, what's your motive to take out the trash? Is it because you have to, because you know, that's your thing. And a lot of times that's the case. That's, that's okay. Right. But when you really truly honor your father and mother, it's the motive behind the things that you do, making sure taking care. I'm watching my, my, my parents go through this right now with my dad's (coughs) mom. Uh, She's uh, my, my grandfather passed away two years ago. And she has got to the point where she can't drive anymore. Right. And so they brought her to, uh, to basically brought her to the same town that they live in to take care of her, you know? And that's, that's what he meant by the way, by honor. Right. Yes. And so, you know, they, it's not just about children. Right. We often think of it in that light that it's talking about children obeying their parents while they're under their care. Right. But that's not no. What the commandment is really about. The commandment is about taking care of your parents whenever they can't take care of themselves. Right. That's as big of a part of it as anything. Right. And so their motive behind that is their their sincere desire to honor mm-hmm. my grandmother. You know, <coughs> she's done so much for them and they're they're honoring her. And so I, I think you're you're exactly right. That that's a total biblical concept. And when and whenever you look at uh, even in what is it, um is it Ephesians six where it talks about uh, it echoes that that sentiment, and, right. and in the Ten Commandments itself, it says, "So that your days may be long upon the earth." A lot of people look at that as a reward. Oh, oh, I'm going to get to live long. That's a blessing if you right. do it right. And but what, uh, but what I think it's saying is, you need to honor them. In other words, look after them your entire life, and right. you'll get and you'll live long upon the earth. Why? Because you have to in order to co- to fulfill. The yeah. commandment, right? Like if <laughs> so, That's so so you know, yeah. If you die young, you can't take care of your parents in their old age, right? So anyway, so uh, <clears throat> okay. Here's the second question, and this comes from Patron Saint Philip. Yes, um, and he wrote into our uh, email theonot uh, info at theonotpodcast.com, and this is what he says. Uh, hey guys, I have a Theo question. What's up with the Sermon on the Mount? It, uh, is it full of commands, principles, or both? How do you interpret it? For instance, does Matthew five forty two, which says, 
Give to one who asks you, and do not reject the one who wants to borrow from you. Mean any uh, mean every time someone asks us to borrow five or five thousand dollars, five five dollars or five thousand dollars, that we are supposed to say yes. My second question is, which is better, Fuddruckers honey mustard or Chick Fil A sauce? <laughs> well, Chick Fil A sauce—that's your second answer. I'll just give that right out yeah, yeah. right now. Chick definitely Chick Fil A sauce. But he brings up a very important question and one that we've actually covered, I believe. On Theonos of Four, one yes. of our episodes was what are the commands, yeah, uh, of script or of the New Testament, basically. And we did another one on the Sermon on the Mount, right? We did do <laughs> another one on the Sermon on the Mount, but let's just uh, cut to the chase here and let's go to the Sermon on the Mount. What's he doing? Why is he doing it? Where's he at? What's what's the whole purpose of these huge things in the Sermon on the Mount? All right. So what do you think? <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to go there. Um, so okay, so um, here's here's my my disclaimer, and I'm probably going to get people mad at me right off the bat. <laughs> Sounds good. Quit treating the New Testament like it's Leviticus. Amen. <laughs> it's not Leviticus, right? Okay. Yes, there are commandments that Jesus gives us, and He does say teaching them to do everything that I've commanded you, but. When you really look at what Jesus is saying, and this is what we covered in our previous podcast, what is Jesus's commandment? Love God, love people. That it's, it's really that simple. And if you follow that to its conclusion in the, uh, the Pauline letters, he does the same thing. He says there in, in Romans 8, or sorry, Romans 13 and verse 8 and 9, and, and he says, Love is the fulfilling of the commandments. For if you love someone, you won't kill them. You won't commit adultery. You won't. Those love fixes it. Okay, so this is what I believe Jesus is actually saying in the Sermon on the Mount. Whenever, because if you look at it, everything he tells us to do is about loving people. So when he says, it has been said that you shouldn't kill someone, that's a commandment. But I say unto you, don't hate your brother. Or don't be angry with your brother without a cause. Right. Okay, so is he is he is he adding new commandments or is he clarifying the commandment that was already in place and saying, look, don't if you don't hate people, you won't have to worry about killing them. Right. Right. So yeah, and okay, so a little bit of backdrop on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, chapter five, six, and seven in Matthew. Right. It's the first of the five uh, discourses that that they, they say that Jesus gives <clears throat> yes. throughout Matthew, um, and it's his main teaching. In fact, I tell students, if you ever want to know what Jesus really taught, go through the Sermon on the Mount and spend some time studying what it says. And it's not to break out rules, right? Right. but it's to break out. And, and Philip, you asked the question, are these rules or are these principles? And my answer is these are principles. These are principles behind rules that, rules that were already in place. Exactly. And so what he's doing is he's actually giving us the spirit behind the rules. Right. So when he says, you've heard it said, uh, um, what is it? Uh, you've heard it said of those of old, you shall not murder in verse 21 of chapter 5. Mm -hmm. But I say to you, anyone who uh, uh, is angry at his brother will be liable of judgment. Okay. You, uh, 
Whoever insults his brother will be liable of counsel. Whoever says you fool will be liable of hell of fire. Does that say that basically is what Jesus is saying is everybody goes to hell who's going to call his brother fool? Or is he getting to a principle behind the rule you shall not murder? Mm-hmm. What Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to take these rules that they've and obviously, laid down with. And he's trying to show them, listen, it's not about checking this this one off. Right. But it's about the heart behind the rule. Right. What he's wanting to do is he's wanting to show everybody there we have wicked hearts. Mm-hmm. You may think you're obeying these commandments, but you're not. You're not. You're still on your on the fast track to hell and you're just secure about it. Right. That's what he's telling them. Yeah. They say, and because really, where does he lead all this? Salvation is found in him. Yes. And so these are behavioral teachings, but salvation lies in in Jesus himself. Right. I, I mean, and you can take these rules to the nth degree. Oaths. Again, you have heard it said in the old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you've sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at law uh, at all, either by heaven, for it is not it is the throne of God, or by earth is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. What's he pointing out? He's pointing out not the fact... He's saying you can't serve on jury. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's he's not saying that you can never take the Hippocratic Oath, for example, right, right? right? You can't be sworn in as a police officer because it's against your religion. Or you can't serve in the military because you'd have to be sworn in. That's, that's not what he's saying at all. Right. What he's saying is there's a heart issue here. And the heart issue is even if you do keep your oaths, let me ask you a question. Is your yes, yes, and your no, no all the time? Are you faithful in every single thing that you say? And the answer there is no, and none of us no. are. Well, and here's and here's an remember who he's talking to. Yeah, he's talking to a bunch of people who are spending their time looking for loopholes in the law. Yeah, right. So they're they're being they're trying to see how far they can what they can get away with and still be in quote unquote obedience to the law. And what he's saying is okay. So he gives an example later on when he's talking to the. Pharisees, mm-hmm. I believe it's in Matthew 23, where he where he goes, uh, okay, you say you're swearing by the temple, but because you're not swearing by the altar in the temple, then you can actually lie. And then he turns around and says, and then the and then you will say, Well, I swore by the altar in the temple, but I didn't swear by the gift on the altar. Yeah. So, in other words, people were looking for opportunities to be untruthful. Right. And so what he's saying here is Playing he's, lawyers. He's like, you <laughs> don't have to to cast an oath in order to be believed. That's his his point. His point is you should be a trustworthy and honorable and a, a, a the type of person that tells the truth all the time anyway. Right. So that when people hear you, you don't have to go, no, 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 I swear. I swear to God. You don't have to do that because People will believe you anyway because of your Christian nature. Right. Well, the best way I can lighten this is is uh, with your kids, okay? Mm-hmm. So let's say you give your kids a rule, right? And the rule is you have to be home by 10 o'clock and all this, you know, or whatever, some some kind of rule. Yes. And, and so 
they immediately start looking at the rule and not the spirit or the meaning behind the rule, Mm -hmm. right? And they can weasel themselves out of situations by saying, well, you didn't say that. So, you know, even though, you know, you meant that, you didn't say that. So, (laughs) you know, I, I did everything that you told me to do and everything that you didn't tell me to do, so I'm good. And Jesus is sitting here going, no, you're not good. That's not the point. You're right. missing it. Yeah. It's the spirit behind the law. Well, and, and, and I just want to throw a couple of things out there, too, for us to, to munch on. If Jesus was saying, you can't actually say, I swear, or as God is my witness, or whatever, if you can't say that type of thing, then Paul is, is breaking it. That's right. Because if we jump over to Romans 1, verse 9, he says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. So he's, he's basically swearing and making an oath. Right. He does the same thing to the Corinthians in the first chapter of 2 Corinthians. He says, um, I call God as a witness to my soul that it was to favor you that I did not go anymore to, Cal- to Corinth. And then in Philippians 1, he does the same thing. For God is my witness, how great I long after you all from the very heart root in Jesus Christ. Yep. So so don't get hung up on semantics. Right. And it's amazing how we'll get hung up on that oath thing. Mm-hmm. But jump back a couple verses, uh, verse 31. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife... Let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Mm-hmm. Do you realize the divorce rate in our in our country, in our churches? Oh, yeah. And it's amazing how... Well, this is a whole can of worms, dude. I know. But it's amazing how we... <laughs> I'm just going there because it's, <laughs> it's there and it's in the Sermon on the Mount. It's amazing how we don't look at that and legalize that one. We do. Actually. Well, yeah, okay, some people do. Some people do. But we legalize the, the whole uh, homosexuality thing. Mm-hmm. In other words, mm-hmm. we rate sin. Yeah. And we go, well, you know, it's well, Jesus didn't say anything about homosexuality in the Sermon on the Mount. Right. I'm just saying that. Just yeah. throwing yeah. that yeah. out there. But my point is... And it's not that we're saying that that's cool or anything. No, we're not saying that. But what I'm, what I'm saying is it's amazing how we are people who are wishy-washy. Mm-hmm. We like our, we, we we like to judge other people's sins exactly, and so it's it's very easy for us to point fingers when we have so many pointing at us. Yeah. And the nature of the Sermon on the Mount was to say, "Listen, uh, there's a heart issue, right? And only Christ can settle right. that. And once He does, it's about being regenerated to yes, follow Him, exactly, coming into the will of God, coming into the will of Christ, and then acting accordingly, so that you can love God and love so, others. Yes. And every single one of these." Things has to do with either loving there, God or loving others. Yes, there are imperatives in the passage and, and, and all that sort of thing, but it's about, but this is not like do this or die. What it's about is you should have a heart for this. Right. This is how you should be acting. That's why when Jesus left, the last few things he's, he starts teaching them, John 14, John 17, is all like love one another. I'm giving you a new commandment. Oh, guess what? It's not a new commandment. Love one another. Love right. one another. Oh, and by the way, this is my commandment. Love one another. And, and so then, naturally, whenever he sends them out, he says, telling, teaching people to obey what I've commanded you. Well, what did he command them? Love one another. Right. 
So, <laughs> that's good stuff. Okay, so moving on. Moving on. Ask the Theonauts. <laughs> okay, so this was one from my Facebook page, and I can't remember who asked us this question, but I'm going to go ahead and read <coughs> it anyways uh, as soon as I pull it up here. Sorry, I got off my wrong page on my phone. Okay, okay. Um, you got off the wrong page. Yes, all right. Is the genealogy in Genesis accurate enough to determine the age of the earth, the age of created life on earth, or do you believe in a gap theory? Okay. Is this my, is my opinion first? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I don't have an opinion on it. Okay, so. here's my opinion. Gap theory is bunk. <laughs> All right, explain. Okay, so, okay, the gap theory um, is basically the theory that says that... Um, the first two verses of Genesis 1 is describing an old earth creation that was then made without form and void and then recreated. Um, and in between there, there could have been millions and millions and millions of years. Right. Okay. Dinosaurs existed. Everything that doesn't fit into your Christian worldview, you now have a nice... Little Niche file to throw cabinet to put it into. Oh, it goes into the gap. Okay. I am totally opposed to that theory. Why? Uh, well, because I don't think it holds any uh, biblical water. <laughs> Why? Okay, so the, 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 the first off is the wording. That uh, just because the, that one word in the Hebrew could be translated became does not mean that that's what it's saying. So... He's describing the creation of the world. Right. Here's my biggest problem with that. Death. Death is a result of the fall. Right. Period. End of story. Death entered the world at the fall. I see what you're doing here. If Brilliant. there was some wacky gap that happened and a bunch of dinosaurs came and lived and died and et cetera, et cetera, in the gap, then there was death already in the world. And there was fossilization. There was all this stuff that, that, that I believe did not happen until the Garden of Eden was sealed up. So, right. so that's my biggest opposition to the whole thing. Here's my second one. We only do this type of weird stuff because we hear all the scientists saying, oh, we have proof, we have proof, we have proof. And we go, oh, well, we can't be wrong, so let's see if I can fit your proof into my theology. Right. And so we start squeezing things and, and, and whatever. But the, in reality is, science itself does not contradict any type of young earth ideologies. Well, now, I'm not saying you have to be a young, a young earth creationist. I do believe that there is a lot of, of things that could have happened at creation that created a bunch of time. That, and this is very scientific. Well, I don't want to get everybody's head spun off. But... According, Quantum mechanic stuff. Right. According to uh, uh, Einstein's theory, the speed of light, things moving at the speed of light bend and warp, warp time. And so, for example, stars that are millions and millions of light years away, which technically means, literally means, the light has taken millions reality, of years to yeah. get here. That's a reality that there were millions. From the point, from the relative point of view of that star millions of light years away, it has been millions of years. Right. From 
our relative point of view, where since we were the created, we were what we was being created. We're the we're the center of it. That yes, so that uh, for our from our perspective, it's been six thousand years, right. and this is completely scientific. I mean, there's a book called Starlight and Time by a guy by the name of Humphreys. It's a hard read. It's it's full of physics. It's full of of uh, quantum mechanics. It's full of all kinds of stuff. I mean, this is not written by some uh, pseudoscientist, whatever. This is a legitimate physicist who wrote this book, and it's all about how that is perfectly explainable, explainable from the biblical worldview. Right. Uh, so I guess what I'm saying is we don't have to come up with a bunch of crazy theories to make uh, to make things fit. Right. Um, so let's go back to death real quick before we answer the rest of this question. Okay. Something that I've always been interested in, and you're the science guy, so I'll let you <laughs> answer this. So, okay, so I was watching Jurassic World today, right? Yeah. And it's centered around these gigantic flesh-eating dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. And, my, my and all qu- kinds of really good science, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, great <laughs> science. And so my, my question uh, is... Uh, uh. That's great. Oh, yeah. You didn't say the magic word. Ah, ah, ah. (laughs) That fat guy. I love him. (laughs) Anyways, um, my question is if there was no death in the world, which I still hold to in my theology because it makes, like, that's that's how it works. Right. There's no death in the world, then why did God design uh, these animals to be carnivorous? Because he knows the end from the beginning. But, so were they eating plants until the fall? The scriptures pretty much say that. Now, they were designed for other purposes, which they fulfilled. Could they live off of plants? Well, I would think so. I mean, there's nothing that says that, that if a carnivore eats plants... He's going to die. No, but it'd be so weird, like, <laughs> watching a T-Rex and chew on some leafy greens. Right. And, and, and you know, there is this... Uh, people want to get it all spun up about, you know, evolution isn't real, blah, blah, blah. Evolution is is a scientific thing. Oh, yeah. M- microevolution. Exactly. Oh, you don't cross species, but there are changes in... 100%. ...the physical nature of right. things based on their environment. Okay, so let's say... The, the T-Rex, for example. Maybe the T-Rex didn't have sharp teeth at the b- the beginning. But by the time we got to the flood, whenever most of the fossils would have been created, that's a thousand years after the fall. Huh. The flood happened a th- over a thousand years after the fall. Right. So there's plenty of time for macroevolution to take place and for animals to change. So, and it's, it's not, it, none of this is unscientific. I mean, it's like, People want to try and, and take one word, because really the gap theory takes one word in right, the scriptures and, right. and creates this entire concept yeah. on, on one word that could be translated in a certain way. Right. So let's get to the first part of his question, which was um, the genealogy in Genesis is accurate enough to determine the age of the earth. I believe so. Okay. Because if you if you follow the genealogy, you get around six thousand. You get around six thousand years from current time, uh, and when you actually s- stop listening to theories and start looking at facts and start looking at things, the oldest trees we know are less than four thousand years old. The oldest coral on the earth 
is less than 2,000 years old. The, the, if uh, at the rate that things erode on the earth, if we go back millions of years, the mountains should be, uh, would have been so steep and so great that there would be no way to traverse them. Right. Um, the amount of salt we have in our sea increases every year. If the, if we extrapolate that back more than say 6,000 years, the seas are so salty that nothing could live in them. Right. Uh, so th- it's completely scientific for there to be a young earth I- ideology. Um, it, but I mean, if I'm not saying you have to believe that, I'm just saying it is scientifically viable. So we don't need to look outside of the scriptures mm. to make it all fit. Yeah. But that's just my opinion on it. I I mean I it's, agree it's, with it's you. And you can actually do the, the you can do the math and from Adam to Jesus, uh, you know, four thousand right around four thousand. I, I will say this from the Jewish mindset. Genealogies is one of the most important things to you because without genealogies, you don't know your house. Right. You don't know your, 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 uh, your lineage. And, and the family you were in was very important. For example, line of Judah is an important line. Right. You don't want to get that messed up because that's the line of kings. The line of the Levites was very important. Yeah. You don't want to get that messed up because only Levites can be priests. Manasseh, not so much, but... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, or Dan, or Dan, because Dan. Dan's the Dan, worst. You're the worst. It's <laughs> <laughs> funny because Dan was pretty much the worst. They went up there and started doing altar worship and weird Morons. stuff. Okay, so but but uh, so I guess the the point is that the lineage is very important, and so it was kept meticulously. That's why you had scribes. Their entire job, right? Their entire job was around making sure lineages were right. Uh, the ancient Jews would also embroider their lineage onto the hems of their garments. So, you know, when you see passages in the Bible that talk about cutting off the hems of your garment, that that is a cultural faux pas. I mean, that was like, okay, whenever David cut off the hem of Saul's garment in the cave of Ein Gedi. Oh, wow, yeah. Okay, when that happened, it was an exclamation point. It was, "Hey, look, I'm ta- I'm taking I'm your taking house. your lineage." Yeah, that's what it was. That's what, and that's why he felt so bad about it that he right. confessed it. Right. Uh, it, it wasn't just that he tore a piece of cloth. It was bigger than that. Yeah. Uh, same thing with with Jesus talking to the Pharisees and condemning. So you broaden the hems of your garments. It, what he's talking about is they want to sh- to write their lineage as big as possible so people can see I'm of the house of right. Benjamin or whatever. So I don't know. I'm just saying we we can trust those lineages. We have an accurate account there. because it was so important to them. Sure, and that they wouldn't have screwed it up. Sure, sure. So uh, that uh, that question, by the way, was from Ron of the Red Oak. So thank you, Ron. Yes, for that question. And once again, uh, just my opinion. <laughs> yes, and I—I I mean, I, I don't think there's a, there can be a lot of biblical argument against that opinion. Um, I think there's a lot of extra biblical argument. Yeah, you can always talk about um, uh, any type of scientific arguments against it. Plus, you can take the whole uh, f- the figurative nature of the text, the poetic te- you know nature of the text. I mean, yeah. There's all kinds of ways that people go with it. But. Right. So, okay, uh, are there <clears throat> aliens, David? 
So you put all these questions together for me, right? No, <laughs> like I'm getting the up. next one. Okay. But, well, I mean, we, we're we together. My answer to the aliens is, yeah, there are aliens, and uh, some of them are illegal. <laughs> um, um, I think what he meant was extraterrestrials, right? Yes. Oh, okay. Um, yes. <laughs> the truth is out there. Okay, here's my here's my take on 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 aliens, and this is this is just wacky theory. There's no biblical background for the, for much of this, right? Okay, my opinion is what we have perceived as extraterrestrial are maybe technically extraterrestrial, but they're not necessarily from outer space. They're not necessarily from other planets. Extra dimensional. Yes, I I tend to think that a lot of the things because if you look at a lot of UFO type of sightings, here's the, one of the weird things is that it's consistent. Right. The people the people who have UFO experiences have a unique like it's they all say the same story and a lot of them say it under hypnosis and I mean so it's really weird that that their stories corroborate one another that's right uh so it is creepy and honestly okay so disclaimer we at theonauts are not no. ancient alien freak or no, freaked no, no. out people and, but and, and here's what I, I tend to think that, that that could be is um i do think there are demonic things at work yes and um and i do think that uh what we might be perceiving as extraterrestrial aliens from outer space could actually be um, angelic, angelic type or, of experiences, or, de- or fallen, de- or demonic. So you, right. you have a you have a story of aliens visiting the Earth in Genesis, mm-hmm. right? Right. Uh, in Genesis chapter six, and it's the story of the Nephilim. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the other questions was, will the Nephilim return? And I think that that's <laughs> on there at some point. In fact, that might be not on today's but, list. Okay. But anyways, um, so you to be continued. Yeah. The answer is. Whenever somebody says alien, what they immediately think of is little green men in flying saucers from Mars. Mm-hmm. And that's not that's not exactly true. Alien means anything not of this world. Right. And so besides Or alien it means anything, anything not anything of foreign. Right. Right. So whenever somebody's talking about We are aliens, actually. Yes, we are. <laughs> so the idea is um uh, fallen angels came to Earth, produced the Nephilim, built up these giant city societies, this this crazy uh, world, and God got sick of it and sent the flood. That was the reason he sent the flood, in my opinion. At least, yeah, part of it. Um, I think the majority. Right. And, and so, uh, anyways, so it makes total sense that, that Satan, I think the father of all lies, I think Satan... Um, is very good at getting us focused on the wrong things. Yes, these sidebars. <laughs> and so uber spiritualists, I mm-hmm. think that they actually have encounters with ghosts. But they're not ghosts. They're they're fallen angels mm. using God's or not God. Satan is using well, uh, it, fallen it angels is, to distract these people from the It's focus dangerous on to start inviting and opening up doorways that you have no idea what they lead to. Right. And this is not to be super crazy, mystical, spiritual, or whatever. Just just saying this is a plausible, uh, based on how the scriptures talk. Right. And uh, okay. if you believe your Bible, then you have uber examples. Yeah, so, okay, for example, uh, Elijah. 
Right. How did Elijah leave this earth? Uh, in a flaming chariot. Yeah, in a chariot of fire. Now, wait a minute. They didn't have cars back then. And they didn't have planes back then. Nope. So what happens if, if someone in a biblical time sees a UFO? It's a chariot of fire. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. There's something in the sky, and it looks like it's on fire. It's lighted, and it's carrying people. Right. Uh, so... And I'm not saying for sure that's what it is. saw the wheel way up in the middle of the sky? (laughs) Yeah, so (laughs) just saying their description in their vernacular is very similar to the description that we often hear about about it. And so so any paranormal experience, I mean... My answer is I don't know. Yeah, but my answer is paranormal experiences happen, and it's it's demonic, and you need to be careful. I will say what my... Here's another opinion. (laughs) Okay. My opinion is there are not life in o- on other planets. It's yes. not sentient life. Just because we find some microbe on another planet doesn't necessarily mean that there's, you know, sentient life. Right. Okay. Like, and so, I, and the reason why I I tend to believe that is going against what Carl Sagan might have said when he said it's a great waste of space, awful waste of space, if yeah. we're the only ones. Well, no, it's not because we're precious in the eyes of God. That's so right. precious that he gave his own son for yeah. us. So if that is the case, it is not hard to imagine. The, the, the infinite size of the universe in our eyes is finite to God. Right. And so from his perspective, it's not a great waste of space. It's a way of giving us signs, seasons, and et cetera, et cetera. And it's a beautiful work of art for us to look up and go, yes. wow, God. And even have the ability to say, what a great waste of space. Exactly. It's <laughs> awesome. Good. Okay, so no such thing as, as sentient life on other planets. Here's a big one. Age of accountability. And this comes from one of my pastor friends in Telephone Baptist, uh, Brother Brian. And he asks, is there an age of accountability and what is the biblical evidence of such a thing? So, Is that one yours? I'll take it. It's, I think it's both of ours. Oh, okay. But I can take it first. My answer is, there is no biblical basis for the age of accountability. And I say that very carefully. Mm-hmm. Because, first off, okay, so let me say, there's no biblical basis for that, that uh, actual theological um, belief. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but there's a base basis for the principle behind it. Okay. Okay. So, um, there again, nowhere in scripture does, uh, do any author come out and say at five years old or at 10 years old when the person or when the person realizes they're a sinner or anything like that, there's, there's nothing in scripture that comes out and says, uh, that that's when they will be held accountable for their sins. The Bible actually says the opposite. From birth, um, from birth, from my from my mother's womb, sin uh, consumed me. And uh, uh, Re- Romans uh, chapter three is is very pointed that sin starts at birth and it and it goes through all of us. So the reality is, um, I don't think that there's an actual scripture for age of accountability. That being said, I have done funerals of children mm-hmm. and Did you tell the parents they're going to hell? No. And I don't think it's biblical for a pastor to say either thing. 
what I think biblical for pastors say is that God is very loving. God is just. Mm-hmm. Um, God's character is is that that um, he he is he is a um, good father and a and a loving father. Right. And so, with that being said, I have hope. Yes. Right. And not only that, I, I do have one scripture. This is the only scripture you can pin it on, and it it can be uh, it can be interpreted two ways. Second uh, Samuel twelve twenty three, David lost Bathsheba's baby. Yes. Right. And it was the penalty. Actually, God took that baby away from him. It was the penalty for a sin. One of the penalties for a sin. Um, so, huh? God caused that tragedy in his life. Just saying. Anyways, I'm not even going there. I know. Keep going. So keep moving. Anyways, so David is mourning. He gets up, he finishes, and he says, But now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? And then he says a statement, I will go to him, but he will not return to me. So the question is, where did David go? And obviously, David's in heaven. He was a man after God's own heart. He, you know, he was considered righteous by his faith. He's in heaven. Um, so his baby is in heaven. That's one interpretation. The other one is simply, I'm going to die just like he died. The grave. Exactly. Like he could be just saying the grave. grave. So the, those can be the, the two interpretations. Um, all right, David, <clears throat> your take on it. Uh, well, actually, I thought that was very good. Um, because I agree. I do, I do not think that the Bible per se teaches this whole age of accountability thing. Here is one thing that that actually bugs me a little bit. Whenever parents are reluctant to Hmm. uh, accept a child's faith in Christ, like, um, well, they're not ready for baptism, or they're not, you know, whatever, and they make them wait until they know more. Okay, look, the gospel is very simple, and it can be understood at a very young age. In fact, um, I read a book, uh, you're going to probably laugh at me. <laughs> I read a book one time called Jesus Freaks by I love that book. DC Talk. I own it. <laughs> I own it too. I own Jesus Freaks too. <laughs> okay, so it's basically a modern day book of martyrs. Right. So there, so there are stories in there, and there's one story that stuck with me. It was about this, this woman in China who got arrested for her faith. And because there was no one to take care of her little girl, she her little girl went to jail with her. Yeah. Okay, so the mother felt horrible because the little baby, the this little five-year-old girl, is stuck in this the prison in China here was not, you know, what right. we have here in America. I mean, this was like horrid. Horrible stuff. So, um, so anyway, they kept, te- they kept like beating her and, te- and, and mistreating them both. And saying, all you have to do is denounce your faith in Jesus, and we'll let you both go. Hmm. And this went on and on and on and on, right. until finally the mother gave in. It was like, I can't take this anymore. I can't have my little girl here in prison. And so she told them, okay, I denounce my faith in Jesus Christ. And as they, would, and they let them go. They were leaving, and the little girl started crying. A little five-year-old girl started crying. And she's like, what's wrong, honey? And she's like, why would you turn your back on Jesus like that? Wow. And then the mother started crying. 
and they walked right back to jail. Right. She was like, you know what? I can't denounce my faith in Jesus. Amen. Okay, that reminds me. Out of the mouth of babes, huh? Yes, that reminds me of a passage in um, Matthew 21 um, and 16. Where um, there is, and I'm I, today I am reading out of the Tyndale New Testament. Woohoo! <laughs> I love it. Okay, what did I say? Twenty-two and sixteen. Okay, so um, you said twenty-one, sixteen. Oh yeah, sorry, twenty-one and sixteen. So, or I'm gonna start in fifteen. When the chief priests and scribes saw the marvels that he did, and the children calling out in the temple saying, "Hosanna to the Son of David," they were indignant. And said to him, do you hear what they say? And Jesus said to them, yea, have you never read from the mouth of babes sucklings you have ordained praise? Wow. So in many ways, the faith of a child can be greater even than a faith of an adult. And we also have Jesus saying, suffer the little children to come to me. Right. Right? And, and the disciples going, ah, leave our Lord alone. You're, he can't be bothered with your childish, you know, antics. Right. And he's like, no, suffer them to come to me. And then he says, unless you become as one of these children, you will no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whoa, what? Okay, so this, it, this raises uh, somewhat of a dichotomy here because you have Jesus equating their humble nature, their innocent nature, to how we should be acting. Um, so to me, here's, here's the, biggest, the biggest thing for me. In, in, in uh, Romans 10, Paul is talking about whether or not Israel will get saved even though they're denying Christ. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a weird thing to say, but he actually talks about it. Right. In Romans 9, 10, and 11. And in this conversation, he, ba- he turns and he says, remember that God will have mercy upon whom he'll have mercy on. And, and uh, so, in other words, it's not your job to determine where people are going. Right. And children are included in that. If a child exhibits faith, don't, don't, uh, turn them away. Let them, let them come on. Now the, exactly. now, the downside of that is a lot of people grow up and they go, well, I didn't know what I was doing. I was too young, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know what? Maybe you know it a little better now. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you forgot what you knew when you was a kid. Right. But I don't really buy into to, to all that. If you want to be, you know, rebaptized and recommitted or whatever it is as an adult, more power to you. I think that's great because that's bolstering your faith and, and making you stronger to recommit or whatever. No problems with that. Right. But to say, I'm not going to allow my child to be baptized or to accept Christ in any way because they don't really know what they're doing yet, that's not our place. Hmm. That's good. So. And, I, yeah, it's a different side of the coin than I've heard all my life. And so it's something I've, I've got to think about because, you know, I was always taught – Child evangelism. One of the first things you do when a child comes to you and says, "I want to know about Jesus," or "I want to be baptized," or something like that. Yeah. Um, I ask them what sin is, mm-hmm. and then if they tell me sin is doing something wrong, I ask them, "Do you sin?" If they answer me no, then I give them a little lesson: the fact that they, yes, the, you do sin. Right. I 
continually introduced the fact that just because you sin, Christ came and died on a cross for your sins. Right. Um, and then I leave it at that. They want to move forward through that. Mm-hmm. Then, then I go forward. Most of the time, I leave it at that. Yeah, that's good. Um, you know, actually, I uh, had a situation arise not too awfully long ago uh, where I had a little girl mm-hmm. who was wanting to come and, and, and be baptized and, and had, had basically come to faith, and uh, people around her started quizzing her. Right. And it was getting really crazy. I mean, people were la- asking her all kinds of questions, and I was just like, oh, okay, hang on. Do you know what Jesus did for us? That's all that you need. <laughs> and she was like, yeah, he died for our sins and took our place on the cross. So That's that we." And I'm like, well, okay, well, then jump in the water. I mean, let's go. Right. This is, what are we still asking questions about? Exactly. It's yeah. not that hard. Right. Uh, we have seen somehow made it to, to be like you have to learn all kinds of stuff before you take those steps. The doctrines of yeah. so, propitiation. <laughs> yeah. It's ridiculous. All right. Um, yeah, and I, I think that's good. So let's see here. Okay, this one uh, is very interesting. Um, and I forgot who wrote it, but it's on my Facebook, so you can go look at it if you want. But the question arose... Did Jephthah really sacrifice his child? <laughs> and I have heard arguments on both sides of this. And usually, this is the major argument I've heard. Okay, Should we start with who the Jephthah story? was? Yeah, uh, so it's in Judges chapter 11. Jephthah makes a vow. If you want to pull that up yeah. and read that for sure. us. Oh, hang on a second. I'm in the Tyndale. There's no judges. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's wrong with your Tyndale. Well, it's because they killed him before he had a chance to get there. I mean, <laughs> excuse me. You know what's funny? <laughs> the other day I was looking at a, a, a Catholic Bible that had the Apocrypha in it. Yeah. And I flipped over and the uh, publisher was Tyndale. And I just kind of laughed a little bit. <laughs> Like, if he knew. Yeah. <laughs> That's so great. Uh, okay. Did you get to it? Okay, yes. Jephthah's tragic vow in uh, Judges 11, verse 29, right? Yes. Okay. Then the Spirit of the Lord, I'm back in the ESV. Okay. The Spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh and passed on to Mizpah and Gilead, and from Mizpah of Gilead, he passed on to, to the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up a burnt offering. A what? A burnt offering. Okay, so burnt offering means... Burning your offering. <laughs> yes. There's no way around that phraseology. Correct. Burnt offering. This is the this is the argument I hear. We have people. tons of examples, by the way, of burnt offerings That's right. in the scriptures. We know what that means. Exactly. So I've heard the argument that no, it was a spiritual thing. So what happened is uh, Jephthah's daughter, the story is that Jephthah, Jephthah wins the battle. God give, delivers yep. him into his hands. He goes back home, and his daughter runs out of the front of the house to meet him. Be careful of the vows you make before God. It's a very good lesson to learn. <laughs> so the the daughter goes into the mountains and mourns for two days because she's a virgin. Two months. Two months? Yeah, I think. Yes. 
two she mourns for two months, comes back, and then the Bible says that he gave her to the Lord. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll, I'll read that, okay, that, go that ahead. passage. So, at the end of the two months, she returned to her father, who did with her according to his vow that he had made. She had never known a man, and it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went year by year to lament the daughter of Jephthah the Gileadite four days in the year. Right. Do you lament people that are still living? <laughs> That's a good question. So, all right, this is the this is the main argument against when people say Jephthah really didn't kill okay. his daughter. Um, Leviticus twenty seven two indicates that you can give your children, make a vow to give your children to the Lord. Okay. They become the Lord's. I'm, I'm good with So that. Hannah gives her yeah. ch- child Eli, to the Lord. Or Eli. To Eli or whatever. All right, yeah, exactly. So you have all these you have all these stories of that. <clears throat> and so a lot of people will say, well, this was a spiritual giving, not he didn't really mean burnt offering. Right. But the people who are doing that, number one, are struggling to force the Bible into their own mindset. <laughs> God would never cause that girl to run out in front and uh, and and be killed by Jephthah. Mm-hmm. God God wouldn't allow Jephthah to do that. After all, he didn't allow Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, right? God doesn't take human sacrifice. Yes. My answer is, if God doesn't take human sacrifice, then we are in trouble. Yeah, because guess what you are saved by? <laughs> exactly. A human sacrifice of not only a man, but God's God. only son. Right. <laughs> exactly. So here's my take on this. It is a hard teaching. Yes. Okay? But it is an important teaching. There was a lot of things that happened in the Old Testament that are harsh, but they're harsh because they were getting us to Jesus. Mm -hmm. Jesus is harsh. The story of Jesus is harsh, but it is necessary for your salvation. And the understanding of why what Jesus did was important and why it saves and all that is because of stories like this. This story of Jephthah and his daughter is a model for Jesus Christ. If she did not die, then it steals from the model. That's right. She died in vain. This is a shadow. It's a type of Christ yes. in the Old Testament. If, if, if you're looking at it as this is not, she did not really die, then if she did die, she did it in vain because you're not getting the message. The point. Okay, so I want to look at a couple of things in the passage because to me the scriptures do not leave a lot of room here. That's right. It's very, very clear. Uh, it says, okay, Jephthah made the vow. Listen what happens when Jephthah comes home. Then Jephthah came to his home in Mizpah, and behold, his daughter came out to meet with him with tambourines and with dances. Now, here's an important point. She was his only child. Beside her, he had neither son nor daughter. This plays into the model. This is a type and a shadow. She is his only child. Jesus is God's only son. son. Okay. And then look what happens. It says, as soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low and you have become the great cause of trouble to me. For I have opened my mouth to the Lord and I cannot take back that vow. Okay. Now, wait a minute. If he was just simply giving her to him, he wouldn't have torn his clothes. It wouldn't have freaked out like this. Okay. Now, and not only that, but let me let me just point this out to you. Also, what if a chicken would have walked out the ho- front of the house? No big deal. 
Yeah. And do you think he would have given the chicken to the priest and say, okay, priest, I'm giving this chicken to the Lord. So you raise it and you make it the Lord's chicken. Yes. (laughs) No, No. we would have killed it and sacrificed it to God. Anyway, Great point. Okay, so (laughs) listen to her now. Verse 36. And this is so important because this is, I'm telling you, this is Jesus in another story. Okay, verse 36. And she said to him, my father... My father, okay, you have opened your mouth to the Lord. Do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth. Now that the Lord has avenged you on your enemies on the Ammonites. Okay, so here's what happened. The Ammonites were destroying Israel. Right. Israel was saved because of a promise. We are saved because of a promise of a son that would be given in sacrifice. Right. The Israelites on this day were saved because of a promise that a child would be given in sacrifice. And it says, right, and what was she here? She didn't put up an argument. She calls to him and says, do, do what you promised right. unto God. In other words, she was a willing sacrifice. sacrifice. Right. Okay, so now let's go back to Jesus. What held Jesus to the cross? The nails? Nope. No. His he, willingness to be His there. love, his willingness. He is a willing sacrifice. Right. Um, so she said to her, her father, let this thing be done for me. Leave me alone two months that I may go up, up and down the mountains and weep my virginity, I and my companions. Right. Garden of Gethsemane. Hmm. You know, the Garden of Gethsemane is on the side of the Mount of Olives. I mean, th- 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 there is such symmetry in this story. That's right. And, and the story of Jesus Christ, that to say that Jephthah did not fulfill his vow in sacrificing her steals from the story yeah. of Jesus Christ. And I've heard, and let's look at the other side just so you understand, and then then we'll knock it down. But uh, <laughs> Sorry, but it's the truth. I don't know, it's one of those things I'm passionate about yeah. because it's a type and model. Well, Hebrews 11, uh, Jephthah is recorded in the Hall of Faith. And the 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 one thing that people have their mind trouble wrapping their minds around is how in the world could this child murderer be in the Hall of Faith? Uh, but you know who else is recorded in the Hall of Faith? Idolaters, uh, cowards, uh, people who were ra- uh, ripe with infidelity. Samson's mm-hmm. mentioned mm-hmm. in there. I mm-hmm. mean, that guy's terrible, okay? So... Don't don't be thrown <clears throat> off by that. Well, and don't forget also that this story is very similar to another biblical story we have. It happens in Genesis twenty-two. Yeah, Abraham, Abraham and Isaac. Mm-hmm. Now, do you think? I mean, it's very similar. It's it's almost the exact type of thing going on. There was a only child, willing, by the way, because he wasn't ten years old no matter what your picture books or your whatever have shown, right. Isaac was a man when this happened. Right. And so uh, he was a willing sacrifice as well. And, okay, yes, God stayed Abraham's hand, but the reason why was because Isaac was a child of promise and this had he had to live in order for the promise to, to, to go on. But the, the point there being, in a way, he did die in the eyes of Abraham. Right. I, Abraham had to to con, con, uh, to convince himself that his son was going to die and that it was up to God to resurrect him, which, okay, once again, this is a model. There's so much going on here. So 
what is Abraham in the hall of faith for? This, that story. That's right. His willingness to take his son to the altar. I believe that's why Jephthah's mentioned. It, you know, uh, the writer of Hebrews cuts it a little short because he says... And Jephthah. Yeah. <laughs> Time won't permit me to talk about the others that belong in the hall of faith. Right. Uh, I.e. Jephthah. Right. <laughs> So we don't really get why he's talking about it, but I think it's because of his willingness to do this horrible thing. Um, so, sorry, it's a hard teaching, but I think that it's very true. It, it absolutely is. And so, you know, you've, and this is a great lesson. Don't, do not try to fit the Bible into your concept. Isaiah 55, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. <laughs> That's right. Quit it. Exactly. All right. Do we have enough time for one more, or are yes. we like covered? Sure. Okay. Let's, let's go one more. All right. Um, so this one comes again from uh, my friend Brian, who's the pastor of Telephone Baptist. Yeah. And he asks, "Are pets in heaven? Will there be pets or animals in heaven? I guess." And the other one is, "Will we recognize our loved ones in heaven?" So, I. You want to start with the pets one? I guess so. I don't. Here's my answer. Don't know, don't care. Yeah, my answer is, <laughs> I don't I'm know. Just kidding. I, I really, I have no clue. Um, I, know, I know a lot of people value the pets a lot more than I do. Right, but and for me, and some people, it's life or death. I mean, it's a big deal. Yeah. Pets oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, <clears throat> for me to go, your your pet has no soul. But in in other other pastors argue with me on this, but I do not believe there's a biblical. There is a biblical answer or <laughs> proof that animals have souls. Yeah. I think we're different than animals. Didn't you see all dogs go to heaven? Yeah, I did. But I think the thing that sets us apart from all other all other life on earth. Mm-hmm. Humans sets humans apart is the fact that that we are born we're, we're born as uh, both physical and spiritual. Right. And well, I don't believe well, that animals there are at least spiritual animal symbology in the afterlife. Yes, lion will lay down with a lamb. Uh, you have all that yeah. symbology in Isaiah mm-hmm. chapter fifty two. Well, in Revelation too. Yeah, in it Revelation t- it talks about things there. And so th- there very well could be a lot of uh, theologians that I respect: Hank Hennigraf, um, C.S. Lewis, uh, Peter Kreft. These these guys believe that there are animals in heaven and believe that your pets could possibly well, here's, be in heaven. But here's my part, here's my, and I was just joking when I said, don't know, don't care, but not really because I really, I don't have any pets. Right. And I've never been close to a pet. Yeah. And so personally it doesn't bother me one way or the other. Right. But if it gives you comfort to believe that your pet has gone into the arms of Jesus, <laughs> My sorry. beloved lizard. <laughs> I didn't mean to, to make that sound. My beloved lizard, wild eyes, <laughs> is going to be a Jesus. Um, I, I, I'm sorry. I'm the wrong. I'm the wrong one to answer this question. <laughs> I just am. I, okay. So, but I have no problem whatsoever with people finding comfort there. Yeah. I have no problem whatsoever with it. Yeah. If I mean, it, it's the will of God. I, I, I don't know. Um, the let me tackle the other the other question. Well, let me finish. So, let me finish you, this. You can you can take the pet question. My 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 issue with 
pets or with animals on earth that die yeah. going and being in heaven is that I do not, I believe that we are different because of the spiritual aspect. Mm-hmm. And spirits are, again, eternal in my, my book. And so um, that being the case, Christ didn't come to die for your pets. Right. Christ came to die for the human race. Yeah. And so the only way to go to heaven is, or the only way to enter the kingdom, I'll call it the kingdom, mm-hmm. uh, is through Christ. You see, and, and I guess from that aspect, I will say my first indication would be no on the pet thing. And the reason why is similar but different because I believe that eternal life is a conditional gift. We don't have it naturally. And it is conditional upon faith. Yeah, we, uh, yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, you know, that whole eternal life thing, either way, conditional or natural, I don't believe that pets are born with it. So, um, I would say no. But And that pains me because I do it's have pets that I grew up but with. But for me, really, it's not a divisive issue. Yeah. If, 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 if that, if you've got... If you want to read the scriptures that talk about animals in heaven and whatever, and that gives you comfort, more power to you. I don't have a problem with that at all. Right. So, okay, the other answer, or the other question, will we recognize, be united with our loved ones in heaven? What do you think? Okay. Um, Here's my take on this. Reunited and feels (laughs) good. Sorry, go ahead. So first off... (laughs) My simple answer is yes. Word. Okay, that's my simple answer. Uh, okay, let me let me give it a little bit of background on on where a lot of this comes from. A lot of people want to take Jesus's teaching to the Sadducees mm-hmm. as proof that we won't know mm-hmm. our love. Preach it, boy. That's right. I okay, agree. so Jesus is talking to the Sadducees, and they're trying to trip him up. Yeah, this woman, you know. She married a guy, and then Levite marriage took over when he died, and she married his brother, and then he died, and she married his brother, and he died, and she married his brother. Which wife is she going to be in heaven? And so, in other words, they're trying to present Jesus with an impossible scenario. Right. There's going to be a fist fight over this woman when they get to heaven. Okay, so let's give you a little historical context here. The Sadducees did not believe in a resurrection of the dead, period. Pharisees did. Pharisees did not have a problem with the doctrine of resurrection of the dead. Sadducees did, and that's why they were sad, you see. Oh. Uh-huh. So he's talking to the, the Sadducees are trying to teach against this resurrection of the dead thing, and that's why they pose this question, to trip Jesus up. Jesus' answer is, you're an idiot. You don't know what, what it's going to be like in heaven, because in heaven, you're not given in marriage. Okay, so a lot of people extrapolate that teaching to say, okay, one, we no longer are married in heaven, and two, we won't even recognize people in heaven because if I don't recognize my wife in heaven, I can't enjoy it. Okay, but I think that we're thinking too small. Okay, I want to take this back to an example I've probably given before. Whenever I was in kindergarten, I had a bunch of friends, and they were the world to me. They were important to me. They were everything. I, I hung out with these guys. They were like, I don't even remember half of them's name anymore. Right, I'm an adult now, sure. and my my childhood kindergarten friends mean very little to me, and it's not a mean thing. It's not whatever, but 
because I am so far beyond what I was when I was in kindergarten, my relationships now are just different. Right. Um, I do have some people in my life that I had when I was in kindergarten, my mother, my father, my brother, my, you know, people like that. And so I still have those people. Uh, so I guess what my point is, is being is I think that in heaven we have, when he says you're idiots, he's not just talking to the Sadducees, he's talking to all of us. Yeah. None of us know and can fathom what it will be like to be in glorified heaven. looking back on this. Right. And I believe it's going to be very similar, probably even more so yeah. of me looking back on my kindergarten days. Right. Uh, yes, those, those, I will acknowledge that the relationships I had on earth were important but they won't be as important as my current relationship with Jesus, with God, and with all the, the glorified believers that are there. Yeah. And honestly, I'll say that I believe that, that our relationships one to another, we will be so united in, in our glorified existence that there won't be one relationship that is greater than the other. So in other words, it doesn't matter I love my wife less in heaven. It means I love my neighbor more than I do now. I love my neighbor like I love my wife. Right. So it, so everyone's lifted up until the relationships are completely unified and we are truly one. One. That's right. And yeah, so I would have to say, I would have to 100% agree with you and then add on to my basis. The first off, we do not lose our individuality in heaven. Um, and a couple proofs of that, Matthew 17 uh, the the Mount of Transfiguration, uh-huh. right where Peter, James, and John go up on the mountain with Jesus, and he calls down uh, Moses and Elijah, right? Yes, yes. And uh, and and Jesus Himself is transformed in His heavenly body. Well, these are two people with very big identities that have very big pasts in the the uh, Jewish history. Yeah. And can you imagine, by the way, being Peter, James, and John? Who are Freak, Jewish people freaking out? Right, there's the Mo, that's Moses. Yeah, and look what <laughs> Peter did. Right, hey, let's build some tabernacles. <laughs> let's live right here forever. Uh, first off, we don't think about how big of a deal that statement was. <laughs> oh it's like a build a tabernacle. Do you realize what went into the tabernacle? And he was all ready to do it. Oh yeah, <laughs> he's like, I'm going to worship that. So, anyways, uh, all right. So <laughs> Moses, Elijah, right? And all, okay, so yeah, that I think uh, Revelations when it talks about the martyrs mm-hmm. um, and the martyrs basically crying out, "How long, O Lord, until you avenge us?" These people have a past and they remember it, right? So that we do not lose our individuality when we go to heaven. Um, And so saying that, obviously we're going to connect with people we knew. Uh, 1 Thessalonians uh, 4. Yeah, that was the one I was going to... Go ahead, do that. Okay, I'm going to read it from the Tyndale. All right. Because that's what I'm in right now. Of course. Okay, so the the, the Tyndale, 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. (laughs) <laughs> First Thessalonians 4, verse 13. I would not, brethren, have you be ignorant concerning those who have fallen asleep, in other words, those who have died, lest you sorrow like others who have no hope. Mm. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so then also those who sleep in Jesus, God will bring again with him. And this we say to you in the word of the Lord, we who live and are remaining at the coming of the Lord will not precede those who sleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will arise first. Okay, check this out. Then, we, then shall we who live and remain 
be caught up with them also in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Yeah. Okay, so first off, you can make the argument that, yes, it says we'll all be together, but it doesn't say we know each other. Okay, right. You could make that argument, but I think verse 18 puts the kibosh on that. What's the point of the comfort? Right. He, he says, comfort one another with this. Know that your loved ones, you will see them again in the arms of Jesus. There's a reason why this is one of the most read passages at funerals. It's to remind the ones of the dearly departed mm-hmm. that if they're in Christ, that they're going to see that person again. Yeah. And it's a, it's a hope that we have. And it's it's a biblical hope that we have. I love the way that uh I love the way that um oh what's his name? Sorry, uh um John MacArthur puts it. Um we will be reunited. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> you throw me off. Okay. <laughs> we will be reunited not only with our own families and loved ones, but also with the people of God from all ages. In heaven, we will all be one loving family. The immense size of that family will not matter in the infinite perfection of heaven. There will be ample opportunity for close relationships with everyone, and our eternity will be spent in just that kind of rich, unending fellowship. See, that's the whole point at the beginning, was mm. that we be one. Yes. So us being the kingdom yes. on earth. We're trying to be one. Exactly. All we're going to try to do is be as much like we will be in heaven. As we, as, yep. Yeah. That's so. right. Awesome. Okay. Um, so we have a ton of other questions. Yeah, just because your question didn't get answered doesn't mean right. we're avoiding you. Next week, we will cover a lot of other ones, a lot of political questions, a lot of governmental questions that I'm not sure if we even want to talk about, but I think... Or we could just make the whole episode about politics. We could. We could just say... And just get nasty on people. Yeah. That's a great idea. And and see how many people we can get up in arms. Right. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No. That is not what I'm just right. playing. But I think we are going to do, it's it's going to be pretty politically minded because those are what the questions are. Yeah. And so we wanted to weed those out to do them next week when we have some time to think and pray because there's some, <laughs> uh, there's some interesting things going on in our government. And, you know, neither of us are happy about what's going on. And neither, then again, we're not exactly on the same page either. Exactly. And so we don't have all the answers. And so we're praying about that, and uh, we'll keep praying about that. You all right. do too. But Are we ready to exit? Because, yeah, we, we've gone on quite a while. No no uh, news? I oh, yeah, you, you want to do news? Well, no. Let's hold off. Okay. We can handle a week without news. Yeah. We'll just do it next week. I didn't have much interesting, except for Pope News, but I'll hold off on that till next week. It's really, <laughs> it's really good. So. All right, let's 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 get it out of here then. Okay. The Theonauts are part of the Great Commission Transmission Network, using new media and social networking to go into all the world and proclaim the good news to everyone. To find out more, go to gctnetwork.com. Subscribe to the newsletter. Stay up to date with all of our shows, including Finding Christ in Cinema and The Worship Show. Well, well not The Worship Show. Visit our website at theodontspodcast.com. There's a little more to that. Go on. <laughs> I'm sorry. For show outlines and notes. Yeah, Jeremiah's <laughs> crying because I cut down his part of the outro. I think it's just funny. You've got all this to say, and I can't say anything. <laughs> We're going to rewrite the outro notes. Sure. Okay, there are several ways to contact us <laughs> and leave us feedback. Send us email to the oh, to 
theonauts at gctnetwork.com or call us on our voicemail line at 972-885-7270. Listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or your favorite podcast catcher. Don't forget to leave us comments and rate us as that helps our show reach a larger audience. Yes, tweet to us on Twitter using at Theonautical. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Theonauts. And don't forget to tune in again to explore the vast reaches of God's world with us. World. Yeah. All right, Jeremiah, thanks for being here and answering all these questions. Did I say world? Yeah, at first you did. Thank this you, too. This has been yeah. Theonauts Bye. Podcast. Call us with your questions or comments at 972-885-7270. That's 972-885-7270. We'd love to hear from you. You are tuned in to the GCT Network. This is your Great Commission Transmission at GCTNetwork.com. This is your Great Commission Transmission. Dan, what is your deal? If anybody doesn't know, Dan is the worst.